Hello, welcome back to Sitting in Jams, episode number three. I hope you're having a good day wherever you are in the world. I know that we have a lot of listeners in the UK and United States just now, which is awesome. If you're not from the UK or United States, send us a message on Instagram and say hi. We would love to connect with you. And it's good to know where people are listening from as well. Cool. How's everybody doing today? I'm doing all right, thanks. I'm ready to get into this conversation. I'm looking forward to it. How are you doing, Callum? Yeah, same here. I'm, I'm fueled up, ready to get into the question. Nice. Feeling good. Callum and I went for our coffee before, uh, about an hour or so ago, and <laughs> I, I ordered a coffee, and the woman was like, that's for two people. And I was like, yeah, I'm two people. <laughs> so I'm fueled up on caffeine. So if I'm speaking too fast, just listen to it in 0.5% speed. <laughs> All right, today's topic is how much music theory do you really need? I'm sure that's something we've uh, potentially even Googled at once in our life or had students ask us on several uh, equations, several occasions. (laughs) And I certainly know that's a question I'm posed with quite a lot and it's quite a tough one to answer often without understanding where someone's trying to go with something. And I think... One thing to realise about music theory generally before we get into this conversation is that music existed thousands of years before music theory did. And music theory is merely a term for ideas that help us understand music. And that is to say sort of that, yeah, you can create music without music theory. Of course you can. Like, we've done it for ages. And people will say, oh, the Beatles didn't know any music theory or Jimi Hendrix didn't know any music theory. And fair enough, like, they might have... They might not know of how to read or write music, but I'm pretty sure they knew some element of theory, whether it was sort of implicit or explicit, and they knew that they were playing staccato, you know, or playing short, you know? So, yeah, the conversation today is how much music theory do you really need? And I think a good place to start with that is by... This is something that Callum brings up a lot, actually, and it's thinking about a, a why for what the question is. And... What I like to think about when someone asks me is like, how much music theory do I need? Or if I'm asking myself, how much theory do I need in a certain thing? Is, well, what is the application of the theory that you're trying to use? You know, why, why are you trying to learn theory? You know, do I want to learn to drive a car, but then drive a boat? Because if so, the car theory does not make any sense. In the same way, teaching someone jazz theory or... Uh, theory inspired by Hungarian classical music might not be appropriate for the journey that they're trying to embark on. And so the why for me is, is it for jazz music? Is it for pop music? Is it for blues music? Am I trying to learn how to compose for film? And I feel that if you have a clear answer to one of those, then there's a path that you should definitely take in terms of learning theory. And once you've embarked on that journey, you might be able to dip into sort of exploring theory within different uh, contexts, and that will definitely inform how well you know your your own kind of category. I know that for me, learning jazz theory has actually been tremendously helpful for playing pop music as well, because it's given me an idea how to understand harmony and such. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm not going to go too deep into that just now. I think I'd like to open it up to actually get get your guys opinions on some of that as well so jack what are you what are you thinking i loved how you started that actually i thought um the thing that you said that really resonated with me and it's actually something that i had written down which is music theory is not an all-encompassing theory of music and i think when you were talking there 
I thought to myself, one thing that I remember studying very early, very early on as well uh, in my music education was how the Greeks thought of music theory. And I always thought that how the Greeks thought of music theory is really interesting for musicians even today, because unlike a lot of music theory today and what we know as, you know, chord scales and um, whatever, chord tones and scales and that, that kind of thing, the Greeks thought about things very much in terms of the emotional impact that music theory had on its people. So one thing that the, the Greeks, and I can't remember if this is something that Pythagoras uh, talks about, I might be completely uh, freewheeling there and, and saying something that's just lodged in my brain. But I remember reading that the Greeks thought of tetrachords. And if you don't know what a tetrachord is, a tetrachord is simply like four notes that you would put together. So like, let's say a tetrachord might be like C, D, E, and G, for example. Uh, something that we might know as like a, a type of C major sort of sound or chord or, or, or mode. And essentially what the Greeks would do is they would equate tetrachords to emotional states. So the thing that I found really interesting about their understanding of music theory was that they understood music theory to, to um, create an emotional response in people. So they had, uh, they had tetrachords that made people angry. They had tetrachords that made people feel happy, feel sad, feel remorseful, remorseful feel uh, like they were back in their childhood as well. They had, uh, I mean, they had all kinds of different... Um, tragedies and um, not fables. What's the other one? Um, I suppose stories really that, that they created using using music as well. And the thing that always resonated with me in reading that history was how much of the emotional side of music, the intangible that they tried to make tangible. And I think for me, at least understanding the question of how much music theory do we need is all about trying to say, well, first of all, music theory is not an all encompassing theory of music. And in fact, we have had many different versions of what we consider music theory, if you like, from, you know, the Renaissance and the Baroque to what we know now and consonance and dissonance and all of those things. And it, yeah, it, it really does leave the door open to like, what is the use of it to begin with? And something that I continually say to students, and I'm glad you did mention at the start, was that I try to get my students to be able to imbue, if you like, or, or internalize music theory and then hopefully get to a place where they can improvise that stuff and move beyond it, if you like. And I am very aware of this principle, and I'm also aware that I'm rambling here, but I'm very aware of this principle in that music theory is something that only really deals with the tangible. But the thing that we all react to, and we can all understand this as, as musicians and as people as well, is that we resonate with music for the intangible, for the thing that makes us feel nostalgic, for the th thing that makes us feel, you know, happy or sad or afraid or, you know, whatever, whatever the emotion, there's music that does it. But the interesting thing, and this is very much like going to an art gallery where the artist can't decide upon um, the viewer's reaction it's a personal relationship that you have with it. And so when we talk about expression in improvisation or in composition as well, I am of the belief that you can't really teach that. And as a result, there is no music theory for how you would go about doing that. But that's, you know, my piece. That's kind of what I think about things. I'm really interested to know, Callum, what you think about things because you are, you are very... Um, you are very precise in how you think about music theory. And, you know, we've talked about music theory before as, 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 as the three of us together. And it's always been really interesting to hear your level of detail about whether it's sound design or hearing, you know, um, how you might create systems to, to break down music theory. So I'd be really interested to hear what, what your perspective is of all this. Yeah, sure. No, those, that's actually super interesting about the, 
the Greek side of things and how they interpret music. Um, there's so many different avenues or just ways that we can view what music theory is and what it does for anyone trying to learn it. Um, the thing for me um, is, again, as you said, Reese, like I ask why all the time. Um, ask it to students all the time so it kind of really starts with a question also um, which is like well, what's what's the purpose for it in the first place like what is what is your kind of end goal do you want to be a composer that's diverse in lots of writing styles um, do you want to write pop music um, and be quite uniform with the way that you know pop music is is written and formed and produced and things like that there's so many different avenues but speaking from just my experience with it it's really helped you know, if you're stuck for ideas, for example, if you're composing, um, music theory is sometimes a way out of a, a tricky situation. If you've ran out of kind of, you know, creative juices and you think if you don't have that music theory um, there to maybe kind of open a different door, you could essentially just go, ah, motivation's out. I don't have any kind of inspiration at the moment. I kind of need to wait until that, you know, that gauge fills back up. Um Whereas sometimes just a little bit of music theory can just open a different door and you just try to go like a different, you go to a different chord on a key because you know it's available and you go, ah, oh, I really enjoy that. That's great. Um, I think one of the most important things for music theory though is, you know, writing down a list of things that you really enjoy the sound of um, and essentially give those things more meaning as opposed to, I really enjoy that. Um, if you have that ability to break down the elements of something that you really enjoy the sound of, something that, you know, channels like Adam Neely and, and Rick Beato have, have done like so much for me in terms of breaking things down, like Rick Beato's channel very early on broke down a lot of stuff that I'd heard in like early, early video games. And it gave me that, that why of just like that, that's how that's constructed. I've, I've loved these kind of sounds for like since primary school and I've got a name for them and I can maybe have a better idea of registering what those things are reese do you want to do you want to jump in yeah yeah that's um as soon as you said that like have a name for it that's what i think about when i think of music theory i never really intentionally compose to exhibit a certain theory it's more as jack was saying it's an emotional thing i'm trying to evoke a certain yeah it could be a certain emotion or memory or it's all quite abstract but as soon as I got to the point in my development when I realized all I needed was one little thread to pull on, whether it be playing the major seven off a minor chord and being like, hmm, I've heard Mike Stern do that. I remember that specific moment. And for me, that was enough to be exploring harmonic minor, melodic minor. And it just opened up a whole world of sound that I didn't know. And if I never had that theory to say, oh, it's a major seven interval over a minor chord, even just that tiny little fact for me honestly gave me like years of practice and yeah for me theory, music theory is very much it's like a it's a tool that I use to open up more possibility within music and yeah in terms of I just want to comment on a couple of things that has helped me with other than that because yeah that's that's one that I think about is a good example I was at a rehearsal yesterday and it's quite funny because I looked at the scores I'd been sent for this rehearsal uh, previous to showing up and there was this one song and I looked at it and the guitar part was a rest for the whole piece and I was like, ha, wicked, I'll go and get a drink or something, you know? And of course I show up to the gig, uh, sorry, the rehearsal and the band leader comes up and they're like, here's your part and I'm like, that doesn't look like a rest, that looks like lots of dots on a page <laughs> and several little parts. And I was like, all right, 
cool. Like, uh, I guess I'm going to have to use my theory that I've learned to understand what's happening in this piece because they count you in and they're like, all right, guitar, two, three, and I have to come in with whatever's written on that page. And if I didn't learn that amount of music theory, I personally wouldn't be equipped for that situation. And, you know, it comes out in other places like teaching, you know, be able to teach because I know music theory. But Jack, I'm wondering if you can comment on any experiences you've had that are your theory has like really proven itself. I think it proves itself every day that, as you say, that you teach or you perform or you just simply carry out your day to day life as a musician. And I've always found that theory has worked in many different ways for me, even in sort of the recreational way. And I, I try to put across ideas of visualization as well for trying to apply theory as well. I think that's the hardest part of teaching theory is about trying to get people off of the page. So as many people know, I started as a classical musician. So a lot of my learning was on the page and slowly I started to move further and further away from the classical world. I, I did a bit of a U-turn so I could end up coming back. Um, but I, I, I drifted further and further away from the page and started to become interested in all this other music that relied either on a completely different set of rules or simply caused me to question a lot of the theory that I had learned. So whether that were things to do with harmony or with rhythm or dissonance or consonance or those kind of things as well. But yeah, I mean, it, it always comes in handy. It comes in handy being able to read music or to have a bit of a synthesized idea of what harmony is, how we can use harmony or scales or that kind of thing. But, you know, something that I've always tried to maintain is a curiosity for things that are completely outside the boundaries of harmony or just outside of the boundaries of what we know as Western music theory. And I think especially when you go to study music from other cultures, you start to realize how useless the parameters of uh, Western kind of um, uh, musical, musical theory analysis, as, you know, as I said, there are so many different types of music theory to begin with, but Western music theory analysis is only useful really for looking at Western music that has been composed within that scope. So when you go to, when you go to find out about, say, whether it was like um, East African uh, traditional drumming music, that kind of thing, you start to have to understand the music from a different place where you can't catalogue it and you can't understand it as a series of beats or as syncopation or that sort of thing. You have to understand it from a completely different uh, context. So getting out of the cerebral world and really thinking of, of it from the idea of like, what is the purpose of the music, which I think is really interesting. We now, um, maybe as a society, we don't look so much on composing music for events whereas when we look at say if you're to look at somebody like Haydn for example we know as Haydn in music theory as being this great classical um, I believe he was a piano player but he was somebody that, that wrote all these string concertos and all kinds of things um, great classical music but people don't actually know that Haydn's job at the time was to basically follow around rich families all across Europe and just write for their parties and their weddings and that sort of thing. And that's his job. He would he lived with royalty. He lived with um, rich families as well. And that was that was what he was to do. And we forget a lot of the time as well that music has a purpose in places. And sometimes the purpose of that music um, culminates in why it exists in the first place or why it was composed in the first place. It's sometimes the impetus instead of the the reason that that you know, music theory exists, therefore I'm going to use music theory to create blah, 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 a, a chord progression or whatever, and then put a melody on top of it. That The reasons for music are also just as important as the music theory for it. So it's a very roundabout way answer of saying music theory has been super, super helpful for me, both teaching as well and applying it. But the thing that I found myself doing more and more often is trying to 
encourage my students and encourage myself as well to think past that and to try to integrate myself into what my theory of music is. Because, you know, at the end of the day, if you were to break down what a theory is, a theory is a prescribed set of explanations for how to create something or to establish a precedent for something. It's not a proven theory. It's really like, or it's not a proven um, test, if you like. There's no, there's no way to define this is how you make great music that will span the test of time and all those kind of things. And I think there's something really interesting about perhaps the spiritual, the, the intangible side of music. And I'm constantly trying to get to that deeper place of, and I talk about this with my students as well, about trying to measure between the concentrative and the meditative. And the concentrative and meditative to me really, and I, perhaps I've even talked about this in a previous episode, is trying to balance the, you know, the the tangible music theory side of things with the intangible meditative side of things, where you have to become in contact with what it is that you are and what it is that you feel, and perhaps if you're lucky enough that you're able to pass that on and what it is that you write or that you improvise to other people, that they might feel that as well. That to me is a successful musical performance or composition. So, I'm always very, very knowledgeable that, not knowledgeable. I'm aware that music theory has its it has its purpose, it has its use as well. Um, but I'm also aware that there is a complete restriction with music theory as well. But really, you know, our question, and I'm, maybe this is me sort of tying it back around to what we're talking about as well, is how much music theory do we really need to be professional musicians or to just be musicians that can enjoy what it is that we're doing? And I know that we've talked a lot about the cerebral ideas around whether it's the history or it's the, you know, the theory of how we use it. But what would you both say to students who said to you, how much music theory do I need to write my own songs and to feel creative day to day? I, I think that's a great question because I feel honestly that you can get by with none. Honestly, I know people who are great musicians and they know in terms of like the shared language of music theory, they don't really know the terms. They can play chords and like they could say, oh, that sounds like my song that goes like that. And I think there's a sense of theory in that. But I I really do genuinely believe you can get quite far with the no music theory. But I think that your limit, your wall is going to be quite low in terms of your overall, potentially like your overall output. What I mean by that is if you're not in some way taking in new information, whether it be like, listening to a new style of music or even just checking out a new artist. It's like you'll learn stuff through osmosis just by taking in the sounds. But if you spend your whole life not knowing any theory at all, let's just say, let's look purely at theory. I think that your your upper limit of like how much you can create is potentially quite low. What I mean by that is you'll probably find that a lot of your songs will start to sound the same, maybe tiny little changes to them. But if you know a wee bit, just a tiny little bit information on music theory, you know, whether it be like the thing I said to Cal about knowing what an interval was, that for me, that opened a, a whole world of information. I think that you can really expand the roof in terms of, you know, the sounds that you have access to. Instead of painting well, let's say, um, primary colours, you now have secondary colours and eventually can blend them together and start looking at different shades. I kind of see it like that. and. For that reason, I don't think learning music theory is ever, ever going to be a bad thing. Because I think it just gives you more colours on your palette. And for me, as an improviser and curious person, that is the most exciting thing. It's like, oh great, a new shade of blue. <laughs> Let's get painting, you know? And for me, that could simply be playing 
a sharp five on a major chord and exploring that sound for a month or a year. Like for me, that is genuinely like a whole world of possibility. And it is as simple as looking at indica blue. I don't even know if that's a color, but like if it is, I'm gonna check it out. And <laughs> but anyway, Callum, I'm, I'm mindful that we've not passed the baton to you. Yeah, no, no, that's uh, I've got quite a few things to, to add to that. So in terms of just experience, I suppose, and just other ways of thinking about it, I think one of the things that's been quite amazing with teaching is like seeing how many students have had light bulb, light bulb moments because of understanding one tiny piece of information. Um, so like one tiny bit of fee. So like, for example, when I teach how to understand just little bits of the fretboard, um, what I'll typically do is just get people to learn, like say A major, um, but in its inversions just throughout the strings E, A, and D. So you take like a simple triad. If you start trying to break down theory of your open chords, you know, there's there's too many doubles of the, the root, the third, and the fifth, and things like that. So it becomes far too tricky, especially for someone who's brand new to music theory. So you take just a three note, a three note thing, and you say, right, okay, I'm playing A major um, in root position on those strings. Now I'm going to give you a couple of formulas. And with those formulas, you're going to be able to change the chord quality. So you try flat, you know, flatten the three. If you understand what the word flat means, we move that down a fret. Um, and that helps us change it to a new chord. We didn't need to learn any new shapes. We didn't look at a shape. We took a formula and changed something and got a different result. And you could just keep doing that. So then you do that. Um, you flatten the fifth, you'll get diminished. If you take that major chord and raise up the fifth, you'll get the augmented. And it kind of... It's, it's nice to see them experimenting with those sounds because they've probably never seen them or experimented with them before. Um, so just through that, like a little bit of experimentation with like kind of basic formulas and small steps, they get acquainted with the sounds and they, again, like it's more of a feeling thing. Like they can start to understand the theory um, and how these things are actually made up, like the elements of a chord, um, but they can also attach a feeling as they're experimenting as well. Um, I think there was another point, but I'll, I'll pass it back on for just now and see if I can bring that point back around. Yeah, do you know something you um, you touched upon there? It's just about to flow out of my mind, but I'm gonna I'm gonna grab it. Something you touched upon there that I thought was was super interesting was um, well, okay, here's an example. So I find music theory is super useful in lesson settings for when students often say and I you know you guys are guitar players so you're gonna you're gonna have heard this so many times maybe millions but definitely hundreds when students come to you and say I'm trying to break out of the boxes or I'm trying to kind of do something different in my mind I hear I want to know a little bit more about what it is that I'm doing and I want to try and find a way of understanding whether it's harmony or theory or playing so that I can move to the next level or perhaps I'm even listening to things that are challenging my own ears and it does kind of go back to, it goes back to something that I've thought about quite a lot recently. When we think about like how music even got into the home and the fact that, you know, the piano, for example, everybody can have a piano now and everyone can sort of learn from home and you can learn on YouTube, you can self-learn. That culture of being able to access music like that is maybe only 200 years old. It's really not old at all. And for a long time, there were there's a lot of gatekeeping by both the church and by um, academia or higher, higher education, really, that kept music theory very much kind of behind bars. It was seen as uh, a bit of a spiritual endeavor for those to, to 
basically commit their life to, if you like, from children to go and learn all these precedents and theories to be able to create music. And so as a result, there is a bit of a, I won't say classes because I don't feel it's accurate, but there is, a, there is a bit of a divide between who is actually able to use it. Whereas, you know, the really interesting thing now is that I think something that is understood by all students is that when you say to them, okay, you know, you, you play a minor chord and you say, does this chord make you feel happy or sad? And they go, well, it sounds kind of sad. And then, you, you know, vice versa with a major chord and they say, it sounds really happy. I find that so interesting because as a result, society in general just by having access to music by able to hear it whenever you want wherever you want everywhere all different types and genres and styles we all have sort of grown we have grown to appreciate and understand music from our ears even more so even if we don't know anything about it and so the music theory aspect of things is very much the next step to a student going okay so what happens if i move a note down or move a note up or change something here or blah 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 is there a theory for this? Is there a reason as to why it sounds like this? And music theory can be really all-encompassing and really good for being able to describe those things. But it's 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 also one of those very funny things that I, I agree with something that you said, Reese, which is you can get really, really far without having to rely too much upon what's on the page. You can rely very much on what your ears what your ears gravitate to as well. And you know, all of us know great musicians who seem to just be able to pick things up off of their ears and just you know, be able to take it to infinity, which is really impressive. And, you know, you'll find if um, if you ever do studio work or any kind of work that relies on you being creative, it's not necessarily what you think that, or what you know that's helpful in that circumstance. It's what you can hear and what you can contribute. And everybody always talks about, you know, serve the music and serve the music doesn't mean play that minor nine arpeggio over where it's supposed to be or whatever. It's about kind of trying to be musical in ways that are sort of intangible and in, in, in ways that we don't really have a theory for, but it's really a, like a common intuition, if you like, between musicians or writers or that sort of thing. But yeah, just as you said that, Callum, it kind of it sent me off on a bit of a train of thought, but yeah. You know, that's cool. That's really cool. Uh, there was two points that I just wanted to kind of add there that I've remembered, which is kind of two, two opposites, I suppose, um, where, you know, we can, we, we can potentially have like too much theory as well like we like i've definitely been down the rabbit hole of spending a lot of time learning theory but maybe kind of like staying away from the application of it um i think that's something that you know through college like trying to get like high high marks in the the graded uh the graded um theory units um sometimes that just takes a little bit like too much of your time and you kind of step away from playing as much um so sometimes you know we can we can try to do that a little bit too much or learn too much theory and then not apply it. And then, you know, that kind of why slightly disappears because then it's just things that we know and we can't really kind of um, put anything out that's real, like a physical thing, I suppose. Um, but as well as that, you know, if you don't know any music theory, I think one of the things that is is quite true is that sometimes when you come maybe to the songwriting process, it can maybe feel like you're reinventing the wheel every time. If there's zero there, you know, if you have nothing there, then you know, we maybe don't have any knowledge of like structure or just like harmony or anything like that. And again, it's not needed, but with the refinement of that skill, you know, you constantly get better at a process of knowing the structures that typically work within music, be it harmony or just like the actual parts of the song itself, verse, chorus and vice versa. Um, so I think that's kind of two two main points that is there's definitely a balance between, you know, applying the stuff that you know but maybe not spending too much time on things that you don't necessarily need to learn as well. It's kind of defining what things that you might want to, um, what, what, what will serve you as well. I think the general consensus and answer here to the 
very tricky question of how much f music theory do you really need is some. <laughs> I think we could probably all agree that like some is useful. It's not too much, it's not too little, but like some. And I'd like to close this or start kind of wrapping up by getting us all to have a think about, all right, well, we've just told the student or the people listening that they need some. Where should they start? And I'm sure we all might have a different kind of starting point, but for me, I, I know that I started off learning the building blocks of harmony and rhythm. I think with a very basic command, like understanding what rhythms you're using, whether that's in like crotchets and quavers or eighth notes and quarter notes. Um, but yeah, having a, a basic understanding of rhythm is super useful. And that you could cover that in like an hour. It's like, it's, it's not very tricky. And then another thing I find to be tremendously useful is something that I've pointed out quite a few times in this episode is an understanding of how harmony is built, you know? And the way that I learned that and teach that is through intervals. And I find that those two topics in combination are enough to get through, to be honest, most music theory, because any advanced rhythm is just a combination of much simpler rhythms. Any advan advanced, in quotes, I don't really think there's such a thing as an advanced chord, but um, any sort of dense chord is really just a combination of intervals. And I think if you can understand intervals and rhythm, you've got a, a good starting point for your foundation. Nice, yeah. Um, no, I would totally agree. Um, I think um, one of the things that I would probably say, this might seem obvious to some, but for some people, um, maybe not so much, but I think really applying little, like small amounts of theory to your instrument, because I think through like high school and college and things like that, sometimes, you know, the the thought process is not really on the theory on the instrument itself. It's actually just the theory. But I think, you know, for example, when you get presented with the circle of fifths, when I first seen that in college, I wasn't really too sure what to make of it. I didn't know what to make of it at all. But see, as soon as I played around with the circle of fifths on a piano and could see the fifths, it made way more sense. I could actually start to make sense of it. So I would definitely say use theory, but try and do little amounts and experiment with that theory on your specific instrument. Nice one. Jack, you want to add it in there? Starting points for music theory? Starting points for music theory. Lead with your ears, but work with with your eyes, if you like. Um, it's something that I sometimes say to, to students, which is really like, try to investigate what it is that you like. And Callum, you said this earlier, and I, I really, really like it, where you sort of try to bank ideas that you have, or you write things down. I always reference this right, and I'm going to pull this up. This is, this is one of my really early practice diaries. And I, I always try to get musicians to either start one or continue one as well. And it's full of, it's full of all kinds of stuff. It's, it's from stuff that I was studying before university, stuff that I was studying yesterday even. And the point of it really is that I'm going into practice or, or, or when I sit to play with the idea that I want to explore some and I want to, you know, because there's, 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 there, are, there are millions of different topics that you could dive into as a musician that... All of us, I'm sure, are still somewhere on the path of learning um, or perhaps you've not even uncovered that kind of aspect yet. But when we go into the kind of path of learning and wanting to kind of discover something new or write a tune or that sort of thing, I'm very, very cautious that I don't write the same way. I try not to improvise the same way. I try to experience music from a new place all the time. And I found that if I am constantly going back to the same theory, then I observe and I understand music from the same place all the time, which is frustrating I suppose so instead what I do is I try to 
I try to lead with my ears. I try to just play, just compose or sing as well. I sing a lot of what I play when I'm practicing to try and really internalize that stuff. But I try to collect what it is that I like. So if I ever come across something that my ears guide me to and I go, oh, this is really cool. Let me figure this out. I can at least use the tool of music theory either to work it out or expand upon it. So from that, I would say that a book will never teach you anything. Music theory is not is not something that's useful if you want to create music. You have to create the music if you like, and your ears are the thing that create the music. You make choices based on what you like and what you hear. Music theory might provide you other choices, but you still have a duty as an artist and as, as you know, somebody who is independent and, and, and fully autonomous in that situation for creating and improvising and all those kind of things to make musical choices, if you like. So that would be my advice, at least, which is to lead with your ears, but then if you like to, to lead or, or to learn, if you like, with your with your eyes. Nice. I think that was very much a mic drop moment. <laughs> Thanks, Jack. And thank you so much to Callum as well for being part of this conversation. Always a pleasure to hang with you both. And the listeners, of course, thank you so much for listening. And remember, if you want to support the podcast, you can do it in many other different ways. You can simply share it on social media or tell your, uh, tell your friends about it. You can also get some merch from our Teespring store, which is linked in the description of wherever you're watching this or listening to this video. Um, listening to this video, watching, yeah, you can watch the video on YouTube, but you can listen to it on Spotify and Apple. Um, but yeah, thanks so much for tuning in. We will speak to you next week and have a great week.